Welcome to Chase Oaks. Whether you're at one of our physical campuses or watching online, we're so glad that you've joined us today. If you are watching online, you might not realize that we have two services on Sunday mornings. The last time I spoke, I was walking up to stage at the 9 a.m. service, and I totally fell. I don't mean like I tripped. I mean I was laid out on the stage. I fell down on my side like this. I was so shocked that I stayed in that position for a few seconds because it took me a, a, a little bit to get my bearings and comprehend the fact that I was laying down on stage in front of a bunch of people. The people in the room were shocked too because I heard them collectively gasp, like they went, <gasps> and so I awkwardly got up and made my way to the designated spot, but I had to wait for the intro video to finish. And so in those few seconds that I had, I yelled out to the audience, I'm totally okay. And then the lights came up and I started my message. But I wasn't okay. Inside, I was dying. Peter, my husband, was sitting in the front row and he said he thought about coming up on stage and helping me get up, but then decided against that because he thought that would make me feel more embarrassed. And that's absolutely true. If he had helped me get up off the floor, then I would have burst out crying and then I would have had to recover not only from falling down, but then in front of but then would have to recover from crying in front of everyone. So we would have just made everything worse. I don't know how I made it through my message, but somehow I did. And when I was walking off the stage, some nice guy came and helped me down the stairs because he didn't want me to fall on my way down too. It was a kind gesture and it made me laugh and it was exactly what I needed in that moment. But honestly, I don't even remember what he looked like because I really think I blacked out after I fell down. So if you were here at the 9 a.m. service and helped me off a stage, please come find me after service because I just really want to say thanks. So as soon as I found out that I was scheduled to speak this weekend, the first thing I thought about wasn't what series are we in, what's my topic, what's my Bible passage going to be. The first thing I thought about is what shoes am I going to wear? Because one thing I learned from that weekend is don't wear slippery shoes on a slick surface. But the most important thing that I learned about myself that Sunday is that I'm an incredibly prideful person. I'm embarrassed to admit this to you. And honestly, I wouldn't have described myself as prideful before because we often think of pride as inordinate self-esteem or a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction from one's accomplishments. But really, pride is just being desperately aware of oneself. Whether you think that you're the best or the worst, just thinking about yourself so much is the biblical definition of pride. It's just focusing on yourself more than you should. Nobody came up to me after service and said, gosh, I couldn't focus on a thing you said because all I could think about was the fact that you fell down. Nobody was thinking that. That was just me obsessing over the fall because I struggle with pride. I'm guessing that I'm not alone in my struggle, and so today we're going to look at what is pride? Why is it so important that we deal with it? In the grand scheme of things, it seems like there's a lot of other sins that have more severe consequences. So why should we be concerned about pride? And then lastly, we'll look at what's humility and how do we practice that? We're in this series in the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is just written to give us practical instruction on how to live well, on how to love God and be in good relationship with others. And it gives us good advice about how to be wise people, but it doesn't give us the exact formula on how to make wise decisions. There's no set steps. Instead, Solomon says, this is the type of person that you need to be to make wise decisions. 
So one important aspect of being a wise person is to understand that pride is a barrier to wisdom. Pride is a barrier to wisdom. Let's look at these verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 18, 19. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share the plunder with the proud. Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 21:4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked, produce sin. The book of Proverbs tells us again and again that pride leads to our downfall and humility leads to wisdom. But this isn't a new concept. It's not like I'm saying something that you've never heard before. Why then are we still so susceptible to the sin of pride? The Greek word for pride in Proverbs 11.2 is the word gaon. And that word was almost always used in reference to God. So what Solomon is saying here is that all of us want to be God. We all want to be our own savior. We all want to be in control. But deep down, we know that we can't be. And so that leaves us open to being attacked by fear and anxiety all the time. And so in order to mask those insecurities, we're looking to people and to situations to support this false narrative that we are great, that we are in control. We're looking to people and to things as if to say, see, I am awesome. You should admire me. I am better than the next person. We're always looking for things that affirm that we deserve power and applause. But is this desire to be great such a bad thing? It seems like in comparison to other sins, pride isn't so bad. Shouldn't we be concerned about sins like addictions or adultery or abusive behaviors? Shouldn't we be tackling those things first? Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 tells us, There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who, who sows discord in a family. This is a list of things that God hates. At the top of that list, the very first thing is haughty eyes, which is pride. Why should we be concerned about pride? Because our ultimate call is to love God and love others, but pride keeps us from doing this effectively. Pride is a self-centric framework. It's just constantly thinking about ourselves and our self-sufficiency. So we don't need God because we're self-reliant. And we only need other people in that we're trying to figure out what can we get from them. How can they make me feel better about myself? How can they support this idea that I'm awesome? So then our relationships with other people become based on what we can get from them or comparison or competition. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he writes, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking. If someone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. Pride causes hostility and antagonism between people, and it breaks the relationship that we have with God and with others. Because We'll always be left feeling dissatisfied when we compare ourselves to other people. And pride 
Ultimately, it's just a symptom of shame and insecurity, and we want to avoid revealing those feelings at all costs. We use pride to cover up the sense that there's something wrong with us, and we see this demonstrated from the very beginning of humankind. In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit that God told them to avoid, instantly they feel fear and shame. And so in order to compensate, they try to change themselves or change their partner. To mask their insecurities, they begin with hiding and changing and blaming. But we all do this. We're all looking for things that make us feel better about ourselves, to mask the feelings that we're not good enough. But maybe you're listening to me today and thinking, uh, I don't struggle with pride. I don't feel like there's something wrong with me. I'm not insecure. I work hard to be successful, but it's not a sin to be driven. I wouldn't have described myself as a prideful person before I fell down on stage. But that day, I went home and I cried. So that's when I knew that I was experiencing something more than just embarrassment. And so I had to talk to my counselor about it. So he said, thinking about the way that we interact with others or interpreting their actions and feelings towards us is a normal human response. We all do this. The danger comes when we try to derive our worth and our identity from those interactions. But even if we're not comparing ourselves to others, just success itself can become an idol that leads to pride. Whenever we're successful at something, it's easy to punt the problems of shame and insecurity. And then we don't have to deal with those things until everything falls apart. And when they do, the feelings are so unfamiliar because most of us are really good at hiding our insecurities, at ignoring the dark underbelly of success. I wasn't aware of my own issues with pride because in the weeks leading up to that Sunday, I was doing all the right things. I was researching and I was preparing and I was praying. I was praying that God would use me. I was praying for the people that would listen to the message. And I think all of that was genuine and true. But on a deeper level, what I discovered was that there was this profound sense of insecurity. There was a fear of failure and a pressure to perform. I think pride can be a blind spot for many of us. And we're not the best at diagnosing ourselves. So here's a list of things to consider to help you figure out if you struggle with pride. You might struggle with pride if you take everything personally. You're devastated by criticism. You're constantly curating your personal brand online with filters and captions and angles. You're anxious or worried. You think your feelings are the most reasonable. You think your desires are the most important. You want to be heard more than you want to hear from others. You think it's always the other person who needs to change or apologize. You tend to be negative and critical instead of positive and grateful. You keep thinking of other people that need to hear this. Remember, pride isn't just thinking that we're the best or we're the worst. It's just overly focusing on ourselves, bringing everything back to us. How did we feel? How were we treated? How were we affected? Were we in control of the situation or in control of people? Whether you think I'm the best or the worst, both are derivatives of insecurity. It's just that people who think they're the best have figured out how to hide those feelings. But neither group has an answer for it. 
The only antidote to our pride is humility. And when I talk about humility, I'm not talking about the humble brag, like when people try to cover up bragging with a joke or a complaint. I'm not talking about false humility where people devalue themselves or their gifts to appear humble. I'm not talking about deflecting praise or fishing for compliments. I'm talking about true humility, and that begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 22.4 tells us, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. The fear of the Lord is just being in awe and wonder of who God is. It's more of a reverential fear. It's understanding the love and the grace that he has for us. Acknowledging that the salvation Jesus offers us was achieved through humility. Jesus came in weakness in the form of a poor, helpless baby so that you and I could receive this message. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. If we believe in Jesus and what he's done for us, then we can move out of religion and into relationship with Jesus. And it's in that relationship that we can find peace and rest and comfort because we're no longer trying to manage and control our lives. Because no matter how much we want to believe that we're self-sufficient, something will happen to remind us that ultimately we're not in control. There will be a job layoff or an economic downturn, a pandemic, a negative health diagnosis, a broken relationship, a death of a loved one, to show us that whatever control we thought we had was just an illusion. The only one who can provide us security and peace and comfort is Jesus. And when we accept this truth, this frees us from the pressure to perform. Because we understand that we're already loved and accepted. We understand that we can't save ourselves, that we're not in control. Humility changes the way that we think about ourselves and our lives. Again, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, The real test of being in the presence of God is that you forget about yourself altogether. So how do we get to this place where we're not the center of our universe, where we forget about ourselves entirely? We lean into practicing true humility. And we start this by asking for help when we need it. Because the sooner I ask for help, the sooner I make room for God's healing. When I went home that day and cried about falling down, I realized that there was something deeper going on within me. And admitting that there's something wrong and asking for help is always difficult. Because once I speak it out loud, then I have to deal with it. There's no more sweeping it under the rug or burying my head in the sand. And dealing with whatever the real issue is can surface feelings of shame or fear of judgment or being attacked or punished. So a safe place to start this is with a trusted spiritual leader or with a counselor. Because when we're trying to process something that, meals, that makes us feel shame, we need to do this with someone who can bear the weight of what we're sharing. In general, I want to be real and authentic. But I also need to be discerning about where I share and who I share with. It's not like I should be going up to people and introducing myself. Hey, I'm Cindy. I struggle with pride. It's nice to meet you. For me, counseling is a place where I can be vulnerable and raw, and I won't be condemned or attacked because my counselor is trained to hold space for me, 
to create an environment where I feel safe and heard and supported and it's free of judgment. And then it's in that place, that safe place, that I can deal with my issues. Because my lesson from that Sunday could have been wear rubber-soled shoes when I'm on stage. But footwear was not my real issue. My real issue was that I was preparing, and I was putting in the work, and I was praying. But really, I wanted God to use that message because of me. But what he ended up doing was using it in spite of me. Being confronted with that reality was so painful. Because I don't want to admit that there's this deep-rooted sin in my heart. I've been going to church my whole life. I've been a Christ follower for most of my life. I'm standing on stage preaching. Shouldn't I have this stuff figured out by now? And the answer is nope. I'm still dealing with a fundamental sin issue like pride. I think that's why Solomon put it on that list. Because the sin of pride is something that people dealt with thousands of years ago. And it's still something that we're dealing with today. So humility begins with a fear of the Lord. And then we ask for help from people that we trust. And then third, we need to regularly confess our sins to people. Not because we're called out or because we're caught. Just voluntarily confessing our sins to community. Counseling is generally the place that I start dealing with my issues. But my counselor would be the first person to say that I need to be sharing with someone who's not paid to listen to me. He would say that healing in a group has far more power because when we're dealing with our sin and brokenness, when we're sharing that, inevitably we'll feel shame. But shame cannot survive being spoken because shame requires you to believe that you're alone. It thrives in secrecy and silence and in judgment. But when we admit our sins to community and we let them know that we don't have it all together, this gives other people a chance to say, yeah, me too. I get that. You're not the only one. So then I had to share with my community. This is what I've been talking to my counselor about. This is the sin I've been struggling with. And doing that was not easy or fun. It was really embarrassing. But it was so important for my own soul and healing and my growth. Because when we confess our sin regularly and voluntarily, we humble ourselves. We stop pretending like everything's okay on the outside. We stop comparing and competing with other people, trying to convince them how great we are. This is what the Bible has to say about humbling oneself. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We sometimes think of humility as this passive event. It's something that happens to us. And we understand the significance of being humbled. But what this verse is telling us is that we're active in this process. This is a choice that we make in our thoughts and in our actions. But humbling oneself is completely upside down from what's taught to us. And it's upside down from what our heart tells us. Because pride says, continually grasp for significance. But scripture tells us, when we stop doing this, God will fulfill his promise and exalt us. When we take the attention off of ourselves, it provides us this, the space to think about others. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. 
Humility gives us the capacity to stop competing and stop comparing and instead treat others better than myself. We begin to think about others' feelings and needs and put them above our own. And when we do this, we can love others the way Jesus has called us to love them. This is more important and more needed than ever today. We need to treat others with compassion and empathy and kindness, especially to people who think differently or believe differently or vote differently from us. I think we could radically change the dynamics of our family relationships or our friendships or our workplaces if we could just stop thinking about ourselves and focus on the other. I don't know where you are today in dealing with pride. Maybe you're listening to to this message and you've connected some dots. And you're thinking, oh, this is why my kids' sports or grades or accomplishments mean so much to me. Because it comes back to me and reflects on me. Or maybe this is why I have to take just the right selfie with the right angle and the right caption. Because it all comes back to me. Or maybe this is why my career or relationship status or my car is so important because it reflects on how people will think about me. This is why I overanalyze every facial expression and statement when I interact with others. This is why it's so important that I get credit or recognition or why I have to win every argument because it all comes back to me. So if you're feeling today like you struggle with pride, same, me too. And I know the weight and burden that the sin of pride can cause. And so as a church, we want to help you with this. Maybe you need to talk to somebody who can hold space for you. Create a safe environment where you can begin to deal with your issues. You can check out our care page and we can help connect you with a pastor or with a counselor. And if you want to explore counseling, that first assessment is free. So don't let finances be a barrier. Or maybe you just need to get connected to a group, find community. If you're at one of our physical campuses, you can go out to the hub and the staff there can help you figure out next steps. Or if you're watching online, you can check out our next steps page or check out information on our app. The way that we become wise people is to admit that we struggle with the sin of pride. We confess this and we move towards practicing humility. Not as a one-and-done thing, but as a daily, ongoing practice. We choose to focus on Jesus and what he's done for us. And we live into the way that he's called us to love him and to love others. And the deeper we go into our relationship with Jesus, the more we can love others and value them above ourselves. And then the easier it becomes to forget ourselves entirely. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and sending an example of humility for us to follow. We acknowledge that we don't have it all together. We confess that we've been prideful and selfish and we need you. Help us to humble ourselves so that you can move in us in a new way today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.